Hey guys, I'm Kobe, and welcome back to the Healing Circle. Oh, I did it backwards again, didn't I? Wait, why are you making that face? <laughs> it shouldn't hurt that much, but it does. What hurts? You what? forgot me. Wait, what are you talking about? Normally you say, hey everybody, welcome to the Healing Circle. I'm, I'm Kobe. And I'm, I'm Kyle. No, I know, but I'm t- I like mixed up the order. Okay. 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 And hey guys, <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> I think we're just gonna get you know what? Hey, no, 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 one no, take, let me, bro. Let me get this. Let me get this. One, one take. Uh, Ted over here. Come on. Hey guys, huh? Nah, nah. We can keep this in the episode. Yeah, I don't care. Um, welcome back to the here. Healing Circle podcast. I'm Kobe. I'm Kyle. And today I'm interviewing Kyle. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, I am a licensed trauma therapist. I'm a licensed clinical mental health. Uh, counselor and I specialize in trauma. I, go ahead. Well, I was going to bring my cr- credentials in. Um, you didn't even let me finish with my credentials. Oh, I just thought the breath was. I was once ranked uh, top 100 on the East Coast in Halo 2. You know, just saying. So that's why he's credible, guys. <laughs> just saying. So if you're trying to, like, oh, why should I trust <laughs> this dude? Because <laughs> I'm nice with the hands. Oh. That's why. All right. Headshots. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> not headshots. <laughs> yeah. This, not explicit. Not this explicit. is uh, rated PG-13, I guess. Go ahead. Um, so, yeah. And I was, am married to Kyle. And we were in a marriage initially where Kyle loved me, loved that I did what I did, but did not love therapy mental health kind of thought it was like a hard work you know will yourself out of it kind of thing and now you know Kyle's almost fully certified as a brain health coach and uh, a huge mental health advocate and I just thought it'd be really good for us to have a conversation about how you went from being someone who was like emotions are stupid don't be emotional uh, I don't believe in mental health. It wasn't that bad. Trauma is not really real. All the way to my co-host on a podcast about mental health. Um, you know, people who know us in real life know how drastic the change is. Know that you are a completely different person than you were, you know, five, seven, for sure, 10 years ago. For sure, 10, definitely um, five, too. But I tried to tell, you know, my friends, people that I know that like, you know, people can change. I really believe that because the the foundation of the work I do hinges on the fact that people can change. That's why people go to therapy, right? People love to say when someone shows you who you are, believe them, like believe them right then. But sometimes they might show you something else and you should believe them then, too, when they change. Um, and so, and that obviously does not apply to narcissists and all the things, right? Hear my heart. But, um, you've made such a huge 180. You're a different person as a man, as a black man, as a black man who is, have a black history month, as a black man who is also a Christian, what made you open your heart, your mind, to the realities of mental health and the realities of how of like your your mental health like what made you change your tune from being that person who's like this isn't that big of a deal and it's not real and it's for weak people to 
now I want to help people heal from their mental and emotional pain? Um, that's a great question. Thanks, babe. And okay, so first I'd like to start with like just an exercise. Okay. F- finish it for me, okay? You'll okay. pick up where I'm going. A B C D E F G. H I J K L M N O P. Q R S. T U V. W X. Y. Am I like this? See what I did there? <laughs> you see what you see what I did there, right? I did, and I wasn't expecting it. I really thought you were gonna make a point. You should see our team is back here wilding out. They think Kyle is so funny. He, you guys <laughs> think we're doing a podcast? He's bro. doing stand up comedy, <laughs> bro. He's doing stand up comedy, and he has an audience, <laughs> bro. Of four people just cackling. You can't see them though. I got her. She never saw it coming. Why am I like this? It's a book that changed my life <clears throat> that comes out in April. So the answer, the real answer is why am I like this? Uh, go order it. Pre-order it. Um, but now back to your very serious and good question that I totally remember, but for the audience, I'm going to ask you to restate. What? <laughs> First of all, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that you gassed me. I kind of like it. I really like it. Okay. Um, the question I asked was like, what made you change your tune from someone who didn't really believe in depression, anxiety, all that stuff. Someone who kind of thought emotions were silly. You should ignore them, you know, try harder. You used to have a catchphrase. No one cares. Work harder. Yeah. You used to say that all the time. He wouldn't say it to me, but like, that was like his catchphrase is like, all right, you have a sob story. No one cares. Work harder, you know, and you are no longer the person that, um, would say something like that. You're no longer yeah. the person who would tell someone to just get over it. You're no longer the person who would just tell an anxious person to stop worrying. What made you change your tune? What did your healing journey look like? Cause I think that there are a lot of men, especially black Christian men who do want healing, but are struggling cause they have questions cause of what they've been taught. Right. They're like, I don't know if this is that serious. It's, are, am I making this up? Like, I just would love for you to share a little bit of your journey from going someone who going from someone who didn't really care about mental health at all to someone who wants to help people with their mental health. Yeah, I used to be a hater. Um, <laughs> I used to be a hater. And sure. the journey, like everyone's journey, like, you know, if, if someone asked you, how did you get to from being a track star and like trying to go professional as a dancer to being a therapist, right? Like that's a winding road. There's a lot of different moments that, sure. that, you know, get there, but some of the highlights, um, one for me, uh, my faith journey became my mental health journey. Not, that's mm-hmm. not everyone's story. And yeah. I don't want to put my story on or my journey on a pedestal, but that's, it's yeah. impossible to tell the story without, I grew up the son of a pastor I made Christian noises. I was really good at making Christian noises. I led worship. I led Bible studies. I said the right things. Yeah. And I was a Christian noise machine. I could make all the right noises and you would think I was a Christian. And I hated God. Mm. Just couldn't stand him and felt like I, the proof that he wasn't real was that I could be lying to so many people about liking Jesus and God was so okay with it. I, I can remember leading worship and saying in my head, like singing songs and literally in my head being like, 
this ain't real. And if you were real, you'd strike me down, but you're not. Let's keep it moving. Right. It was just kind of, I had a lot of anger towards God, but mm. he was kind of the badge that I wore, um, to feel successful. So Ooh. when I got to, huh? that was a bar. He was the badge that I wore to feel successful. There are a lot of Christians out there who don't actually believe in the God of the Bible. They just wear Christianity as a badge for success because 63% of all Americans identify as Christian. And so if you identify with Christ- as Christian, you get power. So there are a lot of people who identify as Christian, not because they believe in Yahweh, not because they believe in the way, but because they want to be a part of a system that has power. Yes, that. And I that's exactly what I meant too. I was that's that's what I was saying. <laughs> um it actually reminds me of my twin my twin brother, love you bro. I know you're not on Instagram or any social media, so you'll never hear this. But my brother, um, uh, who's hilarious and really wise, has this whole sermon series he's been creating because he feels like every Disney movie is the gospel and he can prove it to you, right? And so one of the ones he talks about is Aladdin. And he talks about how Aladdin is really a story about the dangers of um, of trying to pimp out the gift giver. Mm. Of of when you when you meet the genie and when you want the genie only for what it can offer you and you miss the joy of what it can mean to become friends with the gift giver right yeah so he and he'll like and he'll go in bro like 40 minutes just bar after bar after bar scripture the whole guy he's like the whole disney is the whole gospel right whatever but i was very much aladdin yeah i was very much like i felt like i needed some things life owed me and the only utility i even had for god was like let me rub this lamp and get some wishes made because i need hey like i need some things and that's all it was and that was not enough for the wounds that i had Mm. i needed a real jesus to rescue me from my real pain but Mm. i had a fake one and it wasn't working how did you realize you had real pain um i was i was suicidal yeah i i was trigger warning I hate when people say trigger warning and then immediately go forward. Like you don't even you didn't even give someone a chance to pause. Trigger warning. Five, four, three, two, one. I was twelve the first time that I wrapped a belt around my neck and was trying to harm myself and just didn't want to exist. And it wasn't the last time. And it wasn't the only way that I was acting out my my inner war Hmm. the idea that badness was so deeply ingrained in my bones there is no way to get it out of me it's Hmm. just it just was i just was what i was um so there was a sense of i spent much of my childhood and my like teenage years trying to build as many walls between me and emotions as possible Mm. because at 12 I recognized I could not live with the reality of my pain. So I needed to, I needed to build some barriers. Mm. And so, um, I think I always knew, but I was divorced from my pain because I had really been intentional about building walls. And I, when I say intentional, I mean, I remember practicing when I was like 14, 15, trying to watch funny comedy specials and and like train myself not to laugh 
Mm. Like, you know, watch the, watch the scene that I know I think is funny and then just sit there straight faced to train myself not to smile, to train myself not to laugh because I really felt like there was safety and not feeling. Mm. And I really felt it. I wouldn't like, you know, that's not and something I'm saying now. we taught it. Like when we think back yeah. to our last episode, like we're taught that there's safety in a lack of emotion, lack of expression of emotion. It was the only tool that I had to, to deal with it was to not feel it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I built all those trappings. But um, when I became a Christian, uh, which is its own story that I won't get into, not because it doesn't matter, but because it's very long and I want to do it justice if I ever mm. share it. But one of the things that God, I know that I know that I know he's spoken to me in ways that are true and miraculous many times. One of the first ways was him opening up my story of pain mm. and I prayed a prayer God make me more like you give me a heart like yours which is not a prayer that you should pray by the way because <laughs> he will answer um and within the next week I started having dreams about moments in my past mm. that I kept trying to convince myself were dreams but were memories that I had locked away mm. and so um and and it was memories of my sexual abuse and, and things like that. And I really thought it was just bad dreams. And I remember talking to my brother who was in those dreams, like, yo, I've been having these crazy, these crazy dreams, bro. I feel like the enemy is after me. And he was like, what are they about? And I was telling him, he was like, yeah, we were six, you know, like, what do you mean? That's not a dream. That really happened. I just thought we weren't talking about it. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so it was like this moment where God my relationship with God, as I prayed a prayer that I didn't quite know what I meant, but God did. Um, he was the one that really broke open the idea that I had real pain. Yeah. You know, I think about, we were we were close as a lot of this was unfolding. Um, I don't even think dating or married, but friends. No, we were just point. friends, yeah. But there was still a really large gap between that and when you started really taking mental health seriously and believing that like the things of your past affected you yeah. you know i feel like there was like it's about four years i feel like yeah i feel like four i was gonna say like, there was like four years four or five years milestone. between you recognizing that you had pain and you recognizing that like you had to take care of your mental health you mm -hmm. know what was the shift there yeah the shift there was um i got sick You'll remember this, but I got, I got yeah. really, really, really sick. Really sick. Um, and he says sick because no one knew what it was, including the doctor. So it's not even like, you know, something happened and I don't want to talk about it. Um, now, if he didn't want to talk about it, he wouldn't. But, yeah. woo, but he's saying sick because like it was, it was like a mystery illness. Mm -hmm. at, at 22, 23 years old, I was losing my memory. Yeah, like, it was bad. I couldn't remember my mother's name. Was throwing up almost every day. Just yeah. lost twenty or thirty pounds. I was sick and passing out. Just I'd be on stage singing and pass out. Yeah, um, driving. Yeah, driving. Pass out. pass out. Yeah. One of our crew members um, was there for those moments. He's like, "Oh yeah, that did happen." Yeah. So I was sick for about eighteen months, mm. and God was speaking to me clearly in that eighteen months and making it very clear that He had made my outward. Uh, my inward and outward reality and that the reason there was no diagnosis was because it was a sickness being brought on by the lord it was yeah. like who do you you know who do you pray to when the lord is making you sick 
you got to figure some stuff out. And it mm-hmm. was like very clear. I remember, I remember a sweet old lady at church coming up to me and saying, God told me that he's already told you this, but you need confirmation. Your outward or your inward has become your outward. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. And mm. I was so sick that I could not run away from how internally sick I was. And every external symptom I had had a match to an internal symptom. Wow. Um, wow. Down and, and, and I began to cry in that season. That was the first. I'd never seen you cry like that. No and I'm one scrolling had. on my phone because there's something that you said that I like, I'm on my notes right now and I'm trying to find it. But I am. Um, I, it was, I, I broke both my toes playing in a football game and played the rest of the game on it. Never cried. Mm. You know, like I, I'd broken fingers and had one of the screws in my shoulder pads came through and like I got hit and the nail went into my shoulder. I played the whole game. Never cried. Um, because I had been training myself to not cry, right, yeah. for my whole life or whatever. Yep. And I began to cry in this mm. season a lot. Um, a lot, almost every day. And at some point, I really realized something was wrong because I was crying when I wasn't having symptoms. So I was mm. telling myself, oh, well, I'm nauseous and, I, I and my neck hurts from passing out because I keep yeah. hitting the floor and all this stuff. And then there would be days where I didn't have any symptoms. And I was still okay. crying. Yeah. And I realized that I was crying because I felt I finally felt safe to cry mm. because I didn't feel like I could cry only because of my emotions. That was like the weakest, most shameful thing to cry because of your emotions. But people would hear about what was going on with my health and they would be sad. And it it was like almost like a smoke screen. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I can cry about me being sick but really, and people will respect else. it. But I really wasn't crying about being sick. I was crying about a life of unwitnessed pain. Yeah. And God was actually really gracious to me because I needed to cry. I needed a year of crying. And he actually, in his own way, he gave me a shield to let me cry. Yeah. I had symptoms that were worth crying over, but I wasn't crying over them. Yeah. I was crying over that thing. And it was that season where it became like, I need help. <laughs> like, I... I knew I had feelings and I knew they mattered and I knew they affected me, but God himself kept intervening in my life to center my feelings. And yeah. I had tried to divorce my feelings from my relationship with God. Yeah. And you know, I think that <laughs> I don't know if we're remembering this differently. So correct me. Um, I think that what's interesting is like you got to that place and yet you still didn't want to go to therapy. I didn't. You still were like, because one thing that kept coming up pretty often was like, um, I don't know what therapy's gonna do. Like, yeah. what are they gonna do about this pain? Like, what are they gonna do about it? Right? It was very much like, and I, I say this because if you've never experienced therapy, if you haven't gone into spaces where um, people are actually trained to help you with your mental health, it is really easy to think that you have a full conceptualization of all of the options for your pain. And I'm here to gently let you know that's not true, right? At least you're being gentle with them. (laughs) You weren't gentle with me, but- I I was as gentle as I could be, I'm sorry. And you know, um, I, I hear that from people often, like, well, what's it gonna do? And it's like, a lot like one of the things that's really interesting this woman said this so when i went to dr becky's um 
book tour, this woman was like, yeah, I have triggers from growing up in an abusive household and I know no amount of therapy can help that. And as soon as she said that, that's how I knew she hadn't been to therapy. Cause there's actually, there actually, there are evidence-based practices that, that can literally rewire your brain. Actually, there is an amount of therapy that can help that. And there's this thing, like, I see that on TikTok often. People will say, you know, I've experienced this and no amount of therapy can help with the symptoms. And it's like, that's actually not true. And that's how I know you haven't even tried it. And I think a lot of times people have an idea of what therapy can and can't do, but they've never tried it before. Yeah. You know, and you you actually don't have the answers. There's a reason why someone else went to school for a really long time to get a degree and a state license to do all these things because there are options that you don't even know are options. There are possibilities that you don't even know are possibilities until you get in it and do it, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, like the tipping point was you, right? So um, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Um, I did not feel like Kobe was a good thing for probably the first half of our marriage because she was constantly pushing me and pushing me. And I'm like, dang, bro, life is hard enough. Can you like, just let me be. But she wanted more for me than I wanted for myself. Um, and she, she made some ultimatums. She was just like, yo, I you got to go to therapy. Well, I don't think it'll help. Well, then don't go, go for you, go for me. And then it was like, okay, do you love me or not? I'm just asking you to go to therapy try it for four weeks or whatever six weeks and then if not then then don't but i need you to do this for me and so i went for her and when the therapist asked me why why are you here like so what do you need help with i'm here because my wife said i have to come i said we can be silent for the next six weeks or whatever but i said no offense but i'm pretty smart so there's nothing that you're gonna think that i haven't already thought (laughs) because i was an arrogant sob when I was a younger man, I'm only slightly uh, 35% arrogant now, but I used to be 100%. And um, um, that therapist had some challenges and some problems, but they, he did his best. And um, I kept going to therapy. I went to three different therapists before yeah. I found one that really was my person. Yeah. But I kept going because my wife kept insisting. And yeah. she was just like, well... If you find something else that'll help you, then we can do that. But you haven't found anything else. So and I will not? say this, me telling him like, hey, I need you to go to therapy. What? Sure. It was for the health of our marriage, our relationship. But I will say this. It was because I knew that there was more for you. You can't push someone to go to therapy because you're mad at them and you hate them. <laughs> you can't push someone to go to therapy because they're a burden on you. Like healing has to be because really when they start healing, they're going to be more inconvenient, more emotions, more boundaries, more shifts and more changes in the relationship. Like you have to you have to um, invite someone into therapy because you actually believe that they deserve to live a healed life and not because you want to punish them for not being good enough for you in the relationship. And I really felt like like you you have such a full life ahead of you and yet I see you struggling so much like you not just you need therapy you deserve therapy you deserve that you know yeah and we I mean we talked about it in season two maybe we'll run it back but there was a reality that like right wrong or indifferent Kobe when I did start to go to therapy and started to really take up space that was jarring for Kobe because we had a marriage based off of me kind of just 
existing as almost a shell of a human being yeah. oriented around her in certain ways. There were a lot of ways our marriage was oriented around me. But when I began to go to therapy and like start exploring my emotions, I started to take up emotional space in the relationship. And that was that was tough because it wasn't normal. But um, to, to your point. Quick? Yeah. Uh, well, no, you go it was first. over like when I say my wife was like pushing me to go. She was not badgering me every single week. <laughs> it was a few times a month and across like 18 months, almost two years. Yeah. Like, so I went to a therapist that wasn't the right fit for me for like four or five, six weeks. Mm-hmm. She trusted me to be honest about whether or not they were a right fit. She gave me another three, four, five months. And then she would gently nudge me again. What weren't the right fit. She gave me another yeah. five, six months. And then I found the right one. So she wasn't like, she wasn't posting post-it notes on the ceiling, so every time I woke up, go to therapy. <laughs> she she was very gracious about it. But sorry. Yeah, I, I was telling a client yesterday, um, and this client was someone who really struggled with being small. This wasn't in relation to marriage, but I think it applies. She, like, was very quiet, very demure, very, like, I take up a very small amount of space wherever I go. And I told her, wherever you go, when it's between you and another person, in that space, it's it's 50-50. You get 50% of the space, they get 50% of the space. What was happening was she felt like, not even felt like, she was taught it was good and noble for her to play small. So she was only taking up 20% of the space and the other person was taking up 80% of the space, right? But the reality was there was 30% that was hers. And as she's setting boundaries, as she's speaking up, as she's saying that hurts my feelings, as she's saying I don't like that, as she's saying actually I would rather go here, She's taking back her 30 that was always rightfully hers, but the person that she's sharing space with feels like she's taking something from them. Mm. It's all, And I told her, it's almost like when you let someone borrow something from you and they have it for so long that they think it's theirs. That person had an extra 30% of emotional real estate that never really belonged to them. It was for her. Right. And when she started to take back that space that was hers, not infringing upon theirs, just taking back what was rightfully hers. It was incredibly uncomfortable for that person who's used to a relationship that's 80 20. Right. Used to a relationship where I get my half and I get half of your half. (laughs) Right. And so I say that, like, you know, inviting your partner, inviting your friend, your sibling, whoever to go to therapy is such a beautiful and powerful way to advocate for them but it's going to cost you as well because you may not realize the luxuries that you've been getting from someone else being in pain you may not realize the ways that you've been benefiting from someone else's unhealth right and for me I didn't realize that I was benefiting from feeling like there were certain areas where I got the say and my say always went where I got to talk about emotions and somehow my emotions were always more important, right? I, I didn't understand that. But then when you went to therapy and you would say, hey, I don't like it when you talk to me like that. Hey, actually, I'm really tired too. Can I take a break? Hey, like when you started asking for the things I asked for, <laughs> I was like, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, and, and really yeah. you were taking nothing from me, just taking back what was rightfully yours. And that can be hard for the people who are used to having what doesn't belong to them. Yeah. I think um, other people's stories are different. But my story, because maybe it's because I'm hard-headed or what, I don't know. But 
so much of my journey has been life circumstance. I believe in many cases, God, because he loves me, heaped burdens on me to break the lie that I was Superman and I, mm. and I couldn't be broken. Yeah. You know, cause that was like when you, when you, the young kid in me, the one that was abused and beaten and hurt and all those things made vows, made promises. And we talk about this all the time. Yeah. You want to know where your trauma is? Think of the last time you said, I will never let X happen to me again. Yeah. Right. That's probably where it is. Yeah. And I built, I tried to build a life for myself where I could not be hurt. And I recognized that the only way I could think of to not be hurt was to not feel and um, create a lie that I could believe that I was without feeling and I was without pain and I was without real needs. Yeah. And God was kind of like, okay, <laughs> we'll see about that. You Superman, huh? Mm -hmm. Carry this. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Carry this too. Oh, it's a little heavy, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Carry this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't. Yeah. My lies kept crashing down around me and I was mm -hmm. left with nothing but my feelings. What is the first revelation that you had in therapy that was like, whoa, I would not have gotten here without being in therapy? <sighs> yes, I remember this. It was my second session with... um. Dr. Carlos Todd. The, I don't know where we're at on time. The Dr. The mysterious Todd. people in the background who shall remain unnamed. Okay, um, thank you. We may have to make this part two. I don't know. Um, but it was in my second session with the Dr. Carlos Todd, the goat. Uh, I don't know what. Yeah, I was gonna. I was like, I, I know <laughs> how a goat screams. I didn't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he's goaded. And I was kind of. I had, I had been to therapy. I was far-ish along in the journey for me. I had been thinking yeah. about my emotions for a while, and I really felt like I had made great progress, but I needed more help. And this was my first African-American therapist. Yeah. I'm not saying that you have to have a therapist um, that's black if you're black. We we see a therapist right now and for marriage and stuff because it's always great to have. I, every If you're married, got any marriage advice? See a marriage therapist. Yeah, for sure. If you have a great marriage, see a marriage therapist. If you yeah. have a bad marriage, see a mar marriage therapist. If if it's in the middle, see a marriage therapist. We love Ashley. Yeah. Ashley Black. Ashley Black Counseling Services. Shameless plug. She's great. She's amazing. But um, So I'm not saying your, your therapist has to be black if you're black. But for me, so much of my story was rooted in this sense of um, always striving to belong in spaces where I was the only one that looked like me. And fighting lies about what I was and what I was worth. Yeah. And and whether my pain mattered mm. um, because I was so other. People people believed the lies I was telling them about how much I didn't feel pain and all that. And I needed someone I felt safe with. I didn't know how much I needed that safety until I got it. Mm. Um, so I got into a therapy room with a man who I didn't have to explain my context to. Yeah. And it shifted everything because he and then he could speak with authority. Yeah. And he was like, oh, and he's he's from um, Barbados. I believe it's Barbados. Um, I'm sorry, Dr. Todd, if I'm getting the wrong one. I know it starts with a B. It's not Belize. I think it's Barbados. He's Caribbean. And um, he's like, yeah, I see what's going on here. You've been in this like you were born in this country. So you think this is normal. Yeah. What you think what your experience is, is normal. Yeah. So, you know, when I get on a plane in Barbados, 
You know what color the pilot is? Black. You know when I go to the doctor? You know what you know what they look like? They're black. My teachers, black. All the rich people I know, black. All the poor people I know, black. And he was explaining to me this reality that he had a privilege. Um, there's a lot of privileges he didn't have, but he had the yeah. privilege of growing up believing that what he could be had nothing to do like the what he could be the possibilities for his life were not restricted by his color yes which intellectually i understood but i did not feel and i wasn't living my life in that way i was constantly trying to prove myself and so yeah one he like he exposed to me he was like hey like you know um you you know that you like belong where you are right I'm like yeah you know i've worked hard he's like no 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 i just i want you to really understand you sit where you sit like you've told me your resume you told me what you've done you actually deserve to be where you are you didn't no one's you're not a you're not a diversity hire you're no in spite of your diversity this. you're hired yeah and i thought i needed help with like what was going on with work um and that's why i went to see him and that's why that conversation started but when he started to talk to me, like to put a mirror up to how many lies I was telling myself and believing and going forward, forward with without challenging, mm. I became a CFO at 26 and I genuinely believed I was lucky mm. like and had imposter syndrome because I was scared people were going to find out I wasn't smart enough to do the job mm. as if a comp, you know, as if a multi, they, they had $12 billion in assets. Like it was a real company. As if they're just going to hire a 26-year-old <laughs> yeah. because he talks nice, right? Yeah. But I believe that. And so he, he like, he took, it was it was the moment when he took off his therapist hat. Yeah. And he, kept it he was like, he like put down his pen. He was like, bro, you've been brainwashed. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how else yeah. to say this. And he like shared it with me. And that was the first time. And I thought that that would be the end of it. I thought as we unpacked my lies about absorbing white supremacy like that would be it yeah but that opened the floodgates to yeah. all of the other lies i was telling about myself and never challenging come on and that started a journey of challenging the lies i was telling myself like really rigorously because if anyone knows me if you want to debate me it's not it's not, gonna be pretty. it's not fun because yeah. I rigorously challenge ideas yeah. in a way that used to be toxic, but now is, I think, helpful. But yeah. I wasn't doing that with my own ideas. Yeah. And so I, I would say that was the moment that broke open the watershed about like, oh, well, yeah, I'm toxic. I'm shameful. Like, I'm bad. And he was like, yeah, but why? Well, because I am. He was like, didn't you like, weren't you crying two sessions ago about wanting to be able to give 60% of your income away and being scared that you'd never make enough money to be able to do that. Yeah. He's like, do you think that that's a, is that a person that's toxic? And she, I'm like, well, if someone else said it, they wouldn't be toxic. But like, I know that I am. He's like, can we, <laughs> he literally at one point recorded me and then played it back. He's like, pretend it's not you. Is this person making sense? And I was like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. And, so that's a long answer to a short question. And I think that what's really powerful about what you said is the fact that you don't even know you have a perspective until you're invited into a situation where someone else has a perspective they're sharing. 
right? Like when I talk about trauma and the negative core beliefs, the lies about our identity, our worthiness that we adopt from the traumatic experiences that we have, like it's like wearing sunglasses. It's like someone putting on sunglasses and you're seeing through the lens of those glasses and you've had the sunglasses on for so long that you have no, you forgot that you have them on. And then someone comes up to you and says like, take off your glasses. And you're like, what glasses? And they're like these ones and they take them off and you're like, oh, this is what the world actually looks like. And it's like, yeah, you've been seeing the world through a distorted lens based on the situations that you've had to endure and encounter. And um, I love Dr. Todd because I think Dr. Todd um, gave me the space to just love you and not not be the investigator, not be the interrogator, not be the assessor, not be the let's talk about that, let's process that. And I loved that our relationship felt like it was ours again because I knew you were processing with someone else and I didn't need to know. Like whatever you're processing is between you and your therapist, if you want to bring it to me, cool. If you don't, cool. Yeah. And like And that was incredibly safe for me. You know, for those of you who are in a relationship with someone that you want to go to therapy, that freed me so much to go because part of the reason i didn't want to go is because like whatever i do say i'm gonna have to you're gonna ask me questions about it then i'm gonna have to have two therapy sessions where i'm telling you and then you're gonna you know it's like i'm gonna feel interrogated all these things and kobe was like i will never ask you but if you want to tell me what happened in therapy i'm i'm here and i didn't share much the first like six seven months yeah but i could see things shifting i could see and it wasn't my business you know, like at the end of the day, he wasn't healing. You weren't healing for our marriage. You were healing for you, you know, and our marriage was a beneficiary of the individual healing that you were doing. And yeah. so for me, it was just it was freeing to be like, whatever is happening, whatever his process is, I'm blessing it and I'm supporting it. And I don't have to be a part of it to be proud of like the work that you're doing and what it looks like to go to therapy. You were committed. I mean, you went through the pandemic, through childbirth, through, you know, and you are still going. And so it, it, um, I say this to say, if you are wondering, like, can the person I love, whether it's someone you're partnered with, a friend, a sibling, a parent, like people can change. It's really what I hope you receive from this. People can change. People can grow. Um, some people really do grow, grow with perspective. And I got to see that in you. And it was really beautiful. And I'm very proud of you. Um, and proud to be your wife. Proud to be your friend. Have just like loved seeing you grow into yourself. Has it been all the way easy for me? No. <laughs> but it been has some been. some ups and downs. But it's been, it's been really beautiful to see you develop. Um, a sense of strength that came from the humility of letting someone else see your life, you know? So we are going to go forever. So we got to cut yeah. it here before we go. My book is coming out. Why am I like this? How to break cycles, heal from trauma and restore your faith. Kyle has the advanced copy. Why am I like this? Yeah. And um, this book is so special to me because this book is a, a lot of my own healing, but also a lot of the healing that I've been a part of in my clinical work with my clients. And so if you are someone who's like, I don't know how to even start this process of healing or I don't know where to go or what do I do with my emotions? What do I do with triggers? What are triggers? I got you. This book truly is a trauma 101 book for people of faith. Um, and for people who are curious about faith, you don't have to be a Christian. 
You don't have to be a Christian at all. I just pray that you read this book and that you find more of yourself that you find more tenderness in God instead of judgment, that you find more joy in your life, that you begin to live a life that you love. I'm believing in faith that we are going to send, sell, send, (laughs) send and sell 10,000 copies before April 4th. If you want to be a part of 10,000 lives changed, 10,000 hearts renewed, 10,000 stories rewritten, then visit the link in the show notes and order your copy today. Also, we have a membership community. We'd love for you to join with workshops and conversations, daily prompts, and we're planning a couple retreats this year. They're going to get first dibs. So if you want to join us IRL this year, then join our community with the code CIRCLEFAM to get free three free months. Um, you have anything to yeah. say, babe? I will begin hopping into uh, said community. I might even go live, you know, like the kids do. Go ahead, Let babe. people ask me questions. Do what you got to do. Um, you know, work on some of my material. We'll see. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, you know, if you want to get healed and stuff, or if you just like weirdos like me, <laughs> join the circle. Join us. All right, you guys. We love you deep. Make sure to order your copy of Why Am I Like This. Get one for a friend. Until the circle comes back around. Oh my gosh. Bye, y'all. Bye. That was like the NPR voice. Until the circle comes back around. I'm Richard Boswinkle with NPR. Did you say Boswinkle? <laughs>